oldest daughter uh, was much younger, she decided one spring she was going to try softball. And um, uh, our girls kind of tried a lot of different sports before they, they finally settled on one. And, and so she's probably five, six years old, something like that. And she decided she wanted to try softball. And so we did the whole thing. We signed her up. She got put on a team. We got the uniform. She had some practices. The day came for the first game. We're all excited, you know, we're taking pictures, getting to the ballpark early, tossing the ball around, getting warmed up. And, and so the time comes for the game to start. And she was in the age of coach pitch. Some of you remember coach pitch. And the way it worked is the, the coach would throw a, a couple of pitches and they got two strikes with the coach pitch. And then if they didn't hit the first two strikes, then they got one swing from a tee. So that's kind of the age they were in. They were also in the age group where everybody at every inning. Remember those glorious times, right? Everybody's beginning to the end. And, and then you remember the last one, they just kept running, right? Because nobody else was going to hit. They just kept running until you tagged them out. And so it was always a foot race, that last batter, to see who was going to catch them. So Cali's team was in the field first. They, they go in the field, and, and the other team bats through their whole order. And then Cali's team comes in, you know, just a pack of five- and six-year-old herd of girls, and somehow the coach gets them all lined up. This is the batting order. We're going to go in this particular order. Callie goes and bats, and uh, her whole order, they, they bat uh, around as well. And so top of the second inning, inning, Callie's group goes back out in the field, and I look over, and Callie's still in the dugout. And I watch her for a few seconds, and she doesn't move. So I kind of slide over behind the dugout and said, uh, baby, you, you want to get your glove and run back out there? And her head whips around. And she says, and I quote, we going to play them again? <laughs> like in her mind, we did that already. Like they hit, we hit, we were out there, they were out there. I'm good. We don't need to do this anymore. And, and, and I... I said, yeah, you're going to play them again. Just run back out there. And then on the way home, I explained to her, this is the way the game works. You, you actually do the same thing over and over again. It's not a one and done sort of deal. You got to go out there and then you come back in and then you go back out and you come back in. And, and sometimes you do that five times and sometimes you do that seven times and sometimes you do that nine times and sometimes you do it more depending on how the game is going. It's the same thing over and over again. But she had a point, right? If, you, if you're used to the way games work, you don't think anything about it, but team sports are very repetitive, are they not? Like you do that, and then you do it again. You shoot the ball in the basket, and then you've got to shoot the ball in the basket again, right? You kick the ball in the net, and then you're supposed to kick the ball in the net again. You score a touchdown, and then you're supposed to score another one, and then another one, and then another. It's, it's just kind of the same thing over and over again. And those of us who are used to sports, we don't think anything about it. Nobody stands up in the middle of a basketball game and goes, hey, you've already done that. Like, Can you do something different? This is boring. Are you just going to keep running around those bases? Like, is there anything else that you're supposed to do? Like, no, nobody does that unless you're just totally clueless about sports. 
You do the same thing over and over and over and over again. That's, that's the objective of the game, is to do it over and over again and accomplish it more times than the other team accomplishes the exact same thing over and over and over again. We're talking about prayer. One of the challenges for some of us when it comes to prayer is that prayer sometimes feels like I'm, I'm just doing it over and over again. It, it seems somewhat repetitive. For some, that's, that's why for some of us it's, it's difficult to maintain consistency in our prayer life because there is a part of us, we don't say it this way, but we sort of feel like, well, I, I did that yesterday. I said that yesterday, but I've already asked that. I mean, does God have a bad memory? Surely he remembers that I said that. I I asked for that. I I went through the whole thing yesterday. That that causes a, a bit of a struggle for some of us. Do I have to keep doing it over and over and over? And the answer is yes. Yes, you do. Yes, this is one of the objectives of prayers, consistency, persistency. That yes, I would say to God the same thing today maybe that I said yesterday. I, I don't mean that our prayers are supposed to be monotonous. I don't mean that they're supposed to be exactly the same day after day after day. But the Bible clearly teaches that there is, there is power, that God is at work, maybe in ways we don't fully understand, in our consistency of showing up, right? Of just, of just running out on the field and doing it again. Of, of second inning praying again. And third inning praying again. And fourth inning praying again. And consistently calling out to God whether I see immediate answers or immediate changes or not, I put my glove on and I run out of the dugout and I do it again. And I do it again. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells his disciples a story about this persistent nature of prayer. The, the continuous nature, the repetitive nature even of our prayers. And encourages them to continue to pray. It's, it's very similar to the story we looked at last week in Luke 11, we talked about the, the persistent neighbor who's knocking on the door of the neighbor. Jesus tells a, a really similar story in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Now, Luke, the narrator, obviously is telling these events after they happen. Okay, we, we don't necessarily think that the, the writers of the Gospels were journaling, and then they just kind of put their journal into a Gospel. They're thinking back. As the Holy Spirit brings to their mind the events that happen in Jesus' life. And this particular one, as Luke is thinking back to this teaching that Jesus gave, Luke decides up front to say, I want to tell you the point of this story before I tell you the story. Now, this rarely happens in the Gospels. Rarely do the Gospel writers say, I don't want you to miss the point. Here's the point before I ever give you the story. But that's what Luke does. This is verse 1, Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, a story, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, 
I know we don't do a lot of talking back and forth. If you're new, we don't do this very well. We don't do a lot of talking back and forth. But talk to me. What is the point of the story we're about to read? You should always pray. I can count on the teenagers. Thank you. You, you should always pray, not give up. Okay, whatever the story is, whatever's coming next, this is the point. You should always pray and not give up. Let's all say it, not just the teenagers. You should always pray and not give up. What's the point of the story? All right, when life is good, you should always pray and not give up. When life is challenging and difficult, you should always pray and not give up. When circumstances are easy, and we've been there, right? Some of you there now, maybe. When, when, when everything's going the way it should, you should always pray and not give up. When circumstances are complicated and confusing, you should always pray and not give up. You should always pray and not give up. When you have complete clarity on what decisions you're supposed to make in the future... You should always pray and not give up. When you're totally confused about what you're supposed to do in the future, you should always pray and not give up. What's the point of this story? Thank you so much. Verse 2. He said, Jesus. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Think about that. Just pause here. You do, Have you ever met anybody like this? Don't fear God. Don't care what people think. Even if we just take the don't fear God out, let's not judge their spirituality. Let's take that part out. You ever met people, interacted with people who just don't care what anybody else thinks? In the sense that they have no regard for anybody else but themselves. They They don't care where your opinion is, care where your perspective is. They, they are thoughtless in the sense that there's no empathy, there's no compassion. They never look at circumstances from somebody else's perspective. They never give the benefit of the doubt. They don't care what people think. They have no regard for anyone else. They're, they're totally self-absorbed. They're only looking out for themselves. Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody like that? Imagine what that would be like. Have you ever tried to change the opinion of someone who has no regard for the opinions of anybody else? Have you ever tried to persuade someone who just doesn't care about anybody else's life or experiences or background or hurts or paint. Can you imagine how challenging it would be to appeal to that type of person? To try to get mercy from that type of person. It would be really, really difficult. The odds would be stacked against you. If you had to ask for mercy, if you had to ask for favor from somebody who just doesn't care about anybody but themselves. This is who the judge is. This is character one in the story. Somebody who just doesn't care about anybody else. Characters two, verse three. And there was also a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against 
my adversary. Help me. Help me. Have mercy on me. Do something. We have a, a judge who doesn't care about anybody but himself. We have a widow who needs protection, who needs help. Power, obviously, is on the side of the judge. At least earthly power is on the side of the judge. On the side of the widow, we could argue there were some social norms that were on her side, some religious norms, some moral norms. We could say there was a moral authority on the widow because culturally and religiously, based on the Old Testament, there was the need to protect the vulnerable, especially widows. Like There was moral authority on her side, but there wasn't any sort of legal authority, no political authority, no power or strength was on her side. It was completely on the side of the judge. The power differential, think about this, the power differential in this story is decidedly on the side of the person that didn't care about anybody. Which we could talk about that for a while, couldn't we? But that's not what we're talking about. So I'm just going to make two comments about this power differential being on the side of the person who doesn't care about anybody. And the first thing I would comment about that is that you and I need to be wary of people with power who lack compassion. Be, be wary of people who have power, legal power, financial power, Whatever, however you define power. Be wary of people who have power and lack compassion. They're dangerous people. It's like this judge. Second thing I'd comment about that is be wary of the tendency of power to rob us of compassion. You have probably aware of, you probably witnessed people who, who started out with a good heart, uh, good ideas, good objectives, and, and they begin to gain power. And power has this sometimes subtle tendency to just suck the compassion right out of us. And the, the more our power grows, the more our compassion and empathy shrinks. Be wary of people who have power and lack compassion, but also be wary of the tendency of power once we get some for that power to begin to drain out our empathy for other people, our compassion for other people. And it doesn't take a lot of power to do this. Just a little more power than somebody else has. Just, just a little higher position than somebody else has. Just a little more resources, just a little more economic advantage than somebody else has. And it's amazing when I have just a little more power, how I get less empathetic to the person just below me. Well, I had to get here by myself. They, they need to get here by themselves. Like they need to take responsibility for, for themselves. Well, I didn't accept anything. Just a little more power, and I lose a little more empathy for people who don't have the same power that I have. There is a tendency, not saying it happens every time, 
there is a tendency with an increase in power to have a decrease of empathy, have a decrease of compassion. Here's the story of a judge with no compassion, all power, no compassion for anybody. We have a widow who has moral authority to ask for help in her position, but she has absolutely no legal power. And this is what happened, Jesus says in verse 4, for some time. This judge refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. It's, a, uh, it's the idea of come and give me a black eye. Right? Yeah. I've had enough of this lady. Not, not because he cares about her. Not because he has empathy for her, but because she's been persistent. What's the point of this story? You should always pray and not give up. You should always pray and not give up. Jesus says, let me tell you this story. There's a woman, and all the odds were stacked against her. Nobody would have believed she could prevail. No, No one would have believed that she would win. And yet she kept asking And she kept asking, and she kept asking. Her circumstances looked hopeless. The judge she's assigned to, everyone would have said, you should give up, you shouldn't even show up for court on your court date. And she kept asking, and she kept asking, and she kept asking. She kept showing up. She she kept putting her glove on and running back out for the next inning. She kept going back out, and she kept asking. And the judge finally says, This woman's never going to leave me alone. I'm going to give her what she wants. Verse 6, and the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for those chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Jesus said, think about it. This judge who had no reason for doing something kind for this widow. He finally does because she keeps keeps asking and asking and asking. Don't you think the God who loves you will be sympathetic to your cries? That the God who loves you will be compassionate towards your needs? Jesus uses this phrase. Don't you think God will act on behalf of his chosen ones? You're not some stranger to him. You're not just another case to him. You're not just another person trying to use him. And You're his chosen one. You're the one he delights in. You're the one he loves. Don't you think God, if you pray consistently, don't you think God will hear you? Don't you think God will move? And he ends with this question. When the kingdom of God comes, will God find anybody doing that? Like, Will will, will there be anybody who believes God enough just to pray in this way consistently over and over again? When when the kingdom comes at the end of time, when, when Jesus comes again, will there still be people praying in this way? 
And he just lets the question hang. Because it's not really a question for, for, for the, the crowd. It's the question for each of you. If Jesus came today, would he find you praying in the way that this widow asked for her request? Is that you? Second inning and third inning and overtime. And day after day, God, I'm going to come to you. God, I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to be persistent in prayer. I'm going to do it again. And tomorrow I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. Because I believe it matters. Jesus said it matters. And what, are, what, are the, what are the benefits of this sort of persistent calling out to God? This persistent praying. Let me say, first of all, there must be, I'm convinced there are benefits that you and I don't even know of right now. I mean, Jesus is, is so specific about this, and Luke is so specific about this. You should always pray and not give up. Things are happening in the, in the spiritual world when we pray consistently. You and I don't even see and understand and know, but I can tell you some things that I've seen in my life from persistent prayer. Here's one of them. Persistent prayer nurtures my relationship with God. No matter what my request is, no, no matter what the content of my prayers are, when I come and I talk to Him every day, it deepens my relationship with Him. It brings him to my mind. It prioritizes him in my life. It nurtures my relationship with God. I talk to my wife every day. Every day I talk to my wife. There's never been a morning when I woke up and I looked at my wife and said, we talked yesterday. Is it okay if we don't talk today? explains why I've been married so long, right? I don't say those sort of things. You know, we had a really good conversation last night. Can we just not say anything today? You don't ever say that to your spouse. You don't ever say that to somebody you're in a relationship with. You don't say, okay, today, not going to talk. This week, not going to talk. You may want to say that sometimes. You don't say that. Because you know that it is in the conversation, it is in the talking that the relationship grows. And sometimes my wife and I talk when everything is great. Everything's going great. And sometimes we talk when things are really hard. Sometimes we talk and we're tired. And we even say that. Whew. We may need to finish this tomorrow. Right? I'm, we're both tired. I'm not sure we need to finish all of this tonight. Sometimes we talk we're tired. And we just have to say we're tired. Uh, so sometimes, sometimes we talk when we're anxious. We're worried. Sometimes when we talk, we, we have really clear ideas about what our future is. And sometimes when we talk, we're, we're trying to figure things out. Sometimes when we talk, we're mad. She's mad at me, I'm mad at her, we're mad at each other, we're mad at somebody else. But we talk every day. The nature of our talk changes. We don't talk for the same amount of time. We don't use the exact same amount of words every day. 
We don't communicate in the exact same way, but we talk every day. This is one of the reasons I know her so well, and she knows me so well. It's, that's why she knows me better than any of you know me. I know her better than any of you know her. But we talk every day. Like we walk through life every day. We solve problems every day. We don't talk about the same thing every day, although there are some topics that come up regularly in our, in our talks. And because of the stage of life that we're in, there's certain things that we talk about pretty consistently. Talk, don't talk about the same thing. Don't talk for the same amount of time. We talk every day. Why? Because that's a part of nurturing our relationship. That's a part of strengthening our marriage. You want to nurture your relationship with God. You, you want your relationship with God to grow. Talk every day. Talk every day. You don't have to talk the same amount of time. You don't have to play the same number of innings every, every day when you talk to God. You don't have to talk about the same things every time. You're, you're going to feel differently from day to day, but we should always pray and never give up. Another thing that happens as I pray persistently is persistent prayer changes my prayers. I find that as I pray, and as I pray for the same thing consistently, my prayer for that topic changes because God shows me something new or I get new information or I learn something new. I see it from a slightly different perspective and suddenly I realize, God, I've been praying in this direction and I think you want me to pray in this direction. Aren't you glad that God doesn't hold us to the first thing we ever pray about something? Aren't you glad God says, mm, you probably should think about that a little bit. I'm not sure you really want that. Let me help. Keep talking to me, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how you want to pray about that. And then, I wanna, and then I'm going to respond. My wife, um, recently something that we, that we prayed for is uh, she was looking to make a, a change in her, her career, and so we started praying about that. And you know what? Every time she had an interview, every... Every time she read something, every time she had a conversation, our prayers kind of tweaked a little bit. Because we realized, oh God, we want to pray this way. God, we want to pray, we don't want that, we want to pray this now. They became more specific. Praying consistently, praying persistently allows us to to give the Holy Spirit room to, to shape and mold and, and tweak and guide what our prayers should look like. Our, our, our prayers change. Here's, here's one of the ways that I see my prayers changing because I'm praying consistently. And it's that persistent prayer helps eliminate superficial requests. And maybe we don't want to admit this, but sometimes our prayer lives become quite self-centered and selfish. And we should pray for whatever's on our heart and we should ask God for our desires. But I know when I'm consistent in my prayers, I begin to identify when everything I'm praying about is me. And God lets me discover that. Right? You ever let your kids figure things out on their own? God, God, if I come to Him daily, consistently, I begin to realize my, my prayers need to be bigger than, 
than my little world. And, and my world's important. God cares about my world, and we should pray for the desires of our heart. But as I'm praying for those over and over again, sometimes I realize, well, my spiritual vision needs to be a lot bigger than it is. That's why I love reading the prayers of the Bible. If you've been following along our daily devotion since we started this series, we started out just praying through some of the prayers of the Bible, reading through some of the prayers of the Bible. And I love the way Paul prays. When Paul prays for depth of insight, that we would, that we would know the love of Christ better, that we would have understanding, that we'd be able to discern what is best. Like these beautiful, intense, deep, prayers. As I pray consistently, God begins to change my prayers, begins to eliminate those things that are, that are selfish and superficial. The, the other thing we discover is that our, our persistent prayer changes us, like persistent prayer changes me. And, and it probably changes me before it changes my prayer, my heart begins to change. I begin to see things differently. My compassion for other people begins to change. Have you, have you, ever, cha- have you ever prayed for someone that annoyed you? Like you didn't like they were irritating, but, but you had to deal with them all the time. You started praying for them, and, and then suddenly you began to have empathy for them. God began to reveal in you that, you know, there's this whole other side of that person that you haven't given room to because this side of them irritates you so much. You started praying for somebody, and... Before you knew it, you, you had compassion for them. Because God was changing you as you prayed. God was changing you. When I've done that, I don't think the other person ever changed. They were just as irritating as always. I changed. And my, my ability to, to care about them beyond the way they were bothering me, it changed. Prayer changes me. Consistent prayer changes me. This teaching from Jesus, it comes out of a section in chapter 17 where Jesus is talking about the end times word that we sometimes use, phrase we sometimes use. Like when the kingdom come, when Jesus comes again, at the end of all things. And Jesus, he wasn't giving this teaching to give us a, a road map or to say, hey, here are the sign. This is, you know, you can start matching up your newspaper with what's happened. He wasn't trying to give us some sort of road map. In, in Luke 17, Jesus was saying, Between the time that Jesus lived here and the end of all things, we're going to go through some hard times. We're going to go through some difficult times. Collectively, individually, 
Jesus is saying, look, you're, you're going to walk through some difficult times. You're going to hurt sometimes. You, you're going to be broken sometimes. You're going to feel abandoned sometimes. Let me tell you a story. There was this lady, when the world was stacked against her, she kept asking. <laughs> and the power that she didn't think would move, moved. Don't you think? you're walking through trouble and you're walking through struggle, don't you think if you keep praying the God that sees you as his chosen one will move? Don't you think that'll happen? We should always pray. Never give up. And maybe that's what God's calling some of you to right now. For whatever reason, the recent past in your life has been, God, I just, I've done that before. Prayed before. I don't, I don't get it. I have to keep doing it again. And, and God's saying to you this morning, yeah, come on back. When my daughter was sitting in the dugout, I, I went over behind her and said, hey, just go back out there. God's coming alongside some of you this morning, and he's saying, start talking to me again. Start talking to me again. Just tell if you're happy, if you're mad, if you're sad, if you're confused, just start talking to me again. Come on, let's get this conversation going again. Don't sit in the dugout. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God wants you to start talking again. God wants you to keep talking. band's going to sing a song it's about making space giving room for what God wants to do in your life maybe some of you maybe that needs to start down here at the front today that is a part of re-engaging your prayer life you, you just come to the front and say God I'm stepping out of the dugout I'm back on the field next inning I'm going to keep praying I'm going to keep praying Maybe you need to bring a prayer request. Maybe you need to come pray for some of these. Make, make room for God. Make room for the more that God wants to do in your life. You should always pray and never give up. God, coax us out of the dugout. Coax us off the bench. Help us to get back in the game of our prayer life. Do it again. Do it again. Whatever we're feeling, whatever we're facing, to always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. Thank you for not giving up on us. For saying, hey, come on, come on back. May we see you too powerful things through your chosen ones as we call out to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.